welcome to the um, third session. Um, for those of you who weren't here this morning, I'm Helen Margitz from the Oxford Internet Institute. And this, is, um, this, this session is called Designing Technology Changes to Social Security. So it's more of the, sort of, of the real design issues about social security online. We've got two speakers. Um, first of all, Ivo Gormley um, from Think Public is going to talk about which social security challenges should, we should be tackling with technology. I'm going to show us some videos which show us the real experience, people's real experience of encountering um, social security agencies. Um, and then Harry Metcalf from Dexterous Web is going to talk more about the technology end and how we can use technology to tackle those challenges. Um, and because of the videos, I think Ivo will talk for a little bit longer, um, but we'll definitely leave half an hour for discussion. Great. So, um, yeah, I think we've been, we've been talking a lot about um, how you, you move um, Social Security online, um, but we, we don't, there, there hasn't been that much thinking, I don't think, about which aspects of it are, are working and the sort of challenges that are, that are existing now that we need to start trying to, to, to tackle when we do develop these, these, these new solutions. Um, so, what I'd like to um, talk about is... Um, I suppose our experiences of, of working um, at, the, at the, the, the front line, really, of Social Security. We've done a lot of work in uh, benefits offices, looking at the users' experiences, working with them to develop solutions that work locally for them. So very often at the beginning of these, of these projects, we've worked with about 20 local authorities in a, in a, in a, for a similar process. Um, we spend a lot of time exploring those users' experiences, giving them various ways to express themselves, to express their ideas about how they think uh, things should change. Um, so I'm going to show a selection of videos now um, that I think are broadly representative of the challenges that Social Security is, is facing. Um, these examples are mainly taken from housing benefits. Um, I'm not going to tell you where they're from, and I, don't, and I, I sort of think that doesn't really matter. What I've tried to bring out is those, is those sort of themes that we see again and again, whether that's housing benefits or, 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 or various other benefits. Um, so hopefully that will give us good grounding for, for thinking about which are the, the challenges that we, that we really are trying to solve. Yeah. 
application. They're actually being assessed under five criteria under the Act. Basically, five criteria that are supposed to be eligible for assistance. Two, they've got to be um, they've got to be obese.
So, yeah, many incredibly personal, emotional experiences is what we're really talking about in terms of the, the, the user experience. So, um, what I want to do is use that for a bit to sort of open a, a bit of a discussion about, about, about what the challenges are that we're, at, that we're actually trying to solve. Um, from that, I think you can see you know, that there's a massive opportunity to solve this problem of inconsistency and of the way that information travels 
around the system. And that is articulated incredibly effectively by users themselves. So that is, you know, I think that experience of being constantly asked the same thing and feeling like that is actually trying to repel you is an incredibly disempowering experience. And I think even from uh, inside the, the system, people are, people are feeling the same thing. What, why can't we do this? Why don't we have this, this, this way of sharing information? I think stemming from the, from the discussions um, this morning, it's not necessarily why I think we're talking about what can technology do rather than what can the online do is I think it's, it, it's first of all being able to have that shared information within the system before you start uh, sharing it online. Um, another really interesting observation I think that, that comes out fairly clearly in, in this and in a lot of our work is that what people want is some kind of fairness. When people complain about their treatment by the system, it's, it's generally about how they were treated in, in reference to others rather than they weren't given certain, certain things. So, I mean, th those, these sorts of, the sorts of quotes that talk about their own circumstances compared to, to, to others reveal that it's, it's, it's actually, if, if possible, they're not actually blaming a lack of resources. They're more, more blaming how they're treated in, in, in relation um, to other people. So that, I think, is, is again something that, that we should look to, 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 to tackle with technology. You get a, a lot of people talking about how they, you know, that, that they try various uh, approaches, often online or on the phone, and they feel like they're not getting anywhere, and so they come down to the, to the office. Um, this customer's theory is, I think, quite, quite revealing of the, of the, of the overall thing about how you can change, change how the system treats you. So her theory is instilling fear in the, in the staff at the, at the benefits office. That's the way that she feels that she's going she's to change, change the way that she's treated, change the outcome. Um, again, I think you know, that, that's something that, we, that technology could seek to challenge. Um, High expectations um, that can never be met is also constantly um, experienced by the, the users of, of, of the services that we, that we speak to. Um, and I don't, I don't know the, the easy way of doing this, but I think realistic expectations are an absolute necessity, even again from within the services, people realize that the service itself is setting unrealistic expectations. Um, I'd like to just do... Uh, so that, that was sort of trying to diagnose what we can do from current experiences of social security. Um, we've just been working with uh, Consumer Focus um, for the last eight months doing some qualitative research into what people want from the future of online public services and... Uh, sort of overall, really, it's a very broad piece of research. But I'd just like to share sort of three of the, the findings um, from, 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 that, from that report, which um, should be out at the end of, end of July. Um, so we want online, online public services that allow us to get on with the rest of our lives. We don't want 
public services to be a destination in their own right. We want them to be something that helps us achieve a very specific task. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, we think about the way that um, Paul, the first guy in that video, was thinking about. He, he, he was thinking, despite his problems, in terms of efficiency. Is this a good use of my time? What do I want to be doing? I think we need to be thinking that, you know, designing these services for busy people who want to get the job done. Um, the next point is, is, is this idea of control. And I think this, this should be one of the major aspirations is how you can give people control of not only their personal data um, and their relationships with the service, but how can the, the service be designed to in, in, enhance people's feeling of control over their lives overall. Um, so this is an un, a quote from an unemployed person, and that's, that's what he wants with, from his relationship with the job center. He wants to, he wants to be in control. Um, and then transparency, I think, again, that, that comes through very clearly in the, in, the, in, the, in the videos. But how can you start to let people see inside that system? Where is all their information going? What difference does it make when they make a phone call as opposed to when they come down to the, to come, come down to the office? So just giving people that insight into where their case is, is, is really at. Um, so just very quickly trying to, trying to pull those, 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 those two together, both challenges we're trying to solve from the, from the uh, existing problems and then what we can, what the aspirations might be for the future. Um, letting people see inside the system, giving them as much control over that information. Um, and I think that in setting the expectations, there can be some kind of aspiration as well. And I think there's also an opportunity, um, a, a design opportunity there to uh, use those expectations to, to encourage control and to encourage proactive um, attempts to to, to resolve their situation in other ways. Um, and then this issue of, 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 of fairness, something that comes up very strongly. People, I think, are willing to accept that they may not get support if they can understand how that decision has been reached. So, that's it. Okay. Hi. Um, I, um, I love the videos. Um, and actually, I think that one of the biggest things that technology can do to change public services is to, to change public services rather, is to free up resources and money um, to pay for people who can help users who are in that kind of situation more effectively. I thought it was striking the difference in the last video where just somebody who was listening with an empathetic ear and actually making reassuring noises made such a difference. I mean, she didn't actually, did I really notice, commit to very much in that, in that last video, but the, the lady who was clearly a bit distressed came out of it feeling better, even though it was much the same, but was still a sort of wait-and-see kind of experience. So I think what we need to think about doing um, is using technology to cater for the common need. I think it's crucial that when we approach designing technology for public services and doing stuff online. Um, we don't try and use online and digital by default to do everything. It's a sort of adage in, in software development that if you try to solve all the problems that are in front of you or implement every bit of everything that you could possibly do, that uh, you end up doing none of it very well and that you end up with mediocrity, which frustrates people and which leads people 
two shift channels, two phone and face-to-face, -face, which are much more expensive to deal with. There's a marvellous statistic, which I'm appalled to say I can't remember. <laughs> but it's about the number of people who start uh, an online transaction uh, who don't finish it online. And it's huge. It's, 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 it's more than half, I think. Um, and there's no particularly good reason for that. If we focus down what we're doing with web onto common needs, we cater beautifully and in a streamlined and compelling way for the 60 to 80% of people whose needs are basically quite simple and quite similar. We free up a lot of time and money to be spent on dealing with people who have more complex needs. Um, but this does lead to some, to some other difficulties. If you're going to have multiple channels and if you're going to build multiple channels into the sort of heart of what you're doing, um, uh, consistency between channels come, becomes really important and I think that's another thing that came out really strongly in those videos. Just the sheer frustration of people who go through a process two or three times because every time they go from, from online to phone to face-to-face face to face, they end up with a completely different set of people who've got no idea what they were doing before and I think that's another thing that technology can do really well. If we have people who've started out in an online channel and they've gotten a, a degree of the way through that process then people who are working in call centres or who are working in um, offices like job centres should be able to get at that view of the customer and they should be able to see what the customer would see if they were going through that process so that they can help. And in some cases, you may even be able to use that facility um, to set somebody back on the right path. They may have gone through the online transaction and gotten a bit stuck uh, and all they need is a bit of help to get back on that online route and end up somewhere useful. Um, so I think, actually, that that's, that's the biggest thing that I want to say, and I've gotten through it rather quickly, rather more quickly than I did. So I'll move, move on from that to, to how these things are actually built and commissioned and, and, and how we should go about the process of designing and developing them. Um, I think government needs to consider very carefully how much of this stuff it actually needs to do. And I think that in very many cases, government doesn't really need to build online public services. It just needs to build the systems that facilitate them. Um, and there's been a lot of... Um, focus in the last few years on public data and getting public data out and public sector information, which is all, all to the good, but I think there's a whole other realm, really, of public data which is partly public and partly personal, and it's not only data that needs to be read, as in consumed, it's also data that you need to write, as in to, to give back to an organisation that requires it. Um, if we can establish open APIs around systems that deal with things like universal credit and tax assessment, um, and we can open those mechanisms up to a much, much wider group of people to use, um, we can allow market forces to come to bear on the quality of public services online. We can have a multiplicity of providers for submitting your tax return, for example, and we can open up the ability to submit a universal credit application to a much wider group of um, organisations which might allow for example, an application to be made as part of some other process, like if you're signing up for one of those basic bank accounts that people who've had financial trouble can, uh, can apply for, you can start to build more options into that kind of process so that public services go from being a thing you have to go to government to do and a chore and something you just have to get done, and much more towards what I was saying about merely a mechanism that allows you to accomplish something else. Um, I think that kind of approach would lead to actual, real, genuine choice rather than just sort of the slightly illusory choice that we sometimes hear talked about in public services. Um, and it would also lead to much more rigorous competition. And the, the um, classic example of this is 
federal tax returns in the United States, where the uh, federal government was prohibited from making any user-facing interface that allows people to submit a tax return. All they can provide is the API, and a result of that is that many, many companies have developed products and services around that API, and there's now a big market in the States for services that help you submit a tax return. And they don't only deal with the simple cases very well, they also deal with the complex cases very well, because companies emerge to serve niche interests. So if you're part of the 0.1% of people who have some fantastically complicated tax affair, there may be tax affairs rather, um, there may be a service that somebody has designed just for people like you that solves that problem in a rigorous way. And that's something that the market can do that government will never really be able to afford to do. So I think that over the very long term, I hope that that's the way that we'll go towards public standards of open interfaces and a multiplicity of providers and independent pieces loosely joined and that government will perhaps scale back slightly what it does in this area to allow room for others to, um, to have a go. Um, I, th I, I could carry on, but I think I shall just stop there because I, I, I think these things are always more interesting when you discuss them. It's William Heath. Hi. Um, could you explain a bit more how you would see the opening up of an API to a, a, a social security system work? Would that, would that be the DWP just doing back office fulfillment? And, and can you say anything about the security risks if it's personal data that's passing through that API? Certainly. Um, there are certain things that only government can do and government must continue doing them. And one of the things when it relates to social security is, is, is sort of business logic. Here are the inputs about a particular person, how much the entitlement, how much are they sort of able to have? Um, is this data enough for us to be able to accept this as a sort of valid and complete record about somebody? Um, so those sorts of things government would definitely have to do. But I would imagine that there would be an endpoint for a particular service, taking universal credit as an example. So there would be an endpoint where you could submit an application about a person and the department would pay the person that submitted it a small amount for that completed and valid application. Um, and government would end up paying less because it's much cheaper to pay, hopefully, for that than to develop the services that allow you to collect that data for yourself. Um, 
there would absolutely be security considerations. I don't think you could just let anybody who wandered along submit something to one of these interfaces. So I think there would have to be some degree of control over who could use them and some kind of process for deciding who, um, <clears throat> who is sort of credible supplier of that kind of data. But I would hope that that would be as open and, and clear and transparent a process as possible. As for personal data, um, the same challenges exist with such a system as they exist with systems now. And um, I think there are interesting ideas about how to solve that problem, including uh, sort of VRM and, and, and um, putting personal data back onto the user's control, which, which I know William is very familiar with. Uh, James Arch from uh, Royal Borough Kensington, Chelsea. I want to pick up on, on Ivo's talk because I, want, I had about a year ago, I had a, a surprisingly wonderful experience with my stepson taking him down to Lewisham Council to sort out his housing benefit. And the letter told him which bits of information to take down with us, so we did. And it was an 11 o'clock appointment we got called at 11 o'clock on the dot, and then the woman doing the form, she had a computer in front of her, went through the questions. Uh, it was a difficult one because the house he was in wasn't on the address book uh, because it hadn't been logged for the council tax, and therefore I thought, oh, no, it's going to fall down. But instead, she managed to handle that, uh, spoke to a supervisor who was there and it took 20-25 minutes and he got all the forms of photocopied put onto the system at that scanned in at that time it just went through the works he got told how much money he was going to get uh, how much the first payment would be when the first payment would come and it just left me a bit surprised because you don't go to any government service and expect to get that sort of Response, but, and I think the important thing there is that they had done. They took a, sy a systemic approach to the problem, and it's not just a case of putting an online application online, but it is actually redesigning the whole way that you think and approach people. And I think that that, to me, was a really brilliant example of user-centred design. And I just worry a little bit about um, sorry the last speaker. Sort of almost separating that out. So, oh, well, you know, you can go off and, and design your your application, and just wonder whether you do still need to get that design between the back and the front. Um, yeah, I, 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 um, well, it's, it's very very interesting. So, we actually we worked with Lewisham to to design that process, and I hope it's something to do with uh, with our with our with our work there that, that, that it, it did work in that way. Um, but again, it, you know, and I, and I think I, I really like the point about you know that that design sort of oversight of the of the process, um, and I think um, it, it, it's going to work best where you manage to, to, to marry these, these these two different ways of working. Because I think always the, when, when the de developers are thinking about things, they're thinking about data and what can be done with the data, um, whereas we're approaching it you know almost purposefully without that knowledge of what can be done and what can't be done, um, and so you start. So the journey we went through with um, with Lewisham was uh, similar to this: really exploring those customers' experiences, and then using that that new 
set of data, maybe, um, as, as a video, showing that, showing that back to the people that, that provide that service, showing it back to the managers, showing it back to the, the, to the people running the council and to the customers, getting them all to work together to look and, and create shared understanding of what the challenges are that need to be solved. I think that's the, that's the stage and that's the information that you then need to, to, to start to look at with the developers to really you know, involve them in understanding that specific challenge and then not taking it away. I think that, that's the temptation is once you think, all right, I've got that now, I understand that problem, you then take it away to your, to your, your, your office and you design your, your, your solution. What the, the, the important thing not to do is that taking it away, making sure that at every stage you're making sure, wait, so is, this, is this still relating to that problem? Am I still solving that same challenge and getting those people who, you've, you know, who, who are going to be using it to continue to not just test it but to, to, to create it um, with you, I think. Um, I don't think a solution where you had one company running the call centre and another one posting the forms and another one doing the website would work very well at all. Um, I think when I'm, talk when I'm talking about a multiplicity of providers, I think each, each one would have its own systemic approach, you know, so it's a sort of, I think it's a wider thing than that, but um, it's, it's great to hear when public services work well, and I have a, a countervailing example from a blog, Public Strategist, which goes on at quite some length about a terrible public service experience, at the end of which he reveals that he had it in John Lewis, the, the bastion of middle-class quality. Um, and, and so I think it just goes to show that these are really these are really difficult problems, and certainly not only restricted to the public sector. Hi, Jane O'Loughlin, Direct Gov, Government Digital Services, Cabinet Office. Not quite sure where I'm from. Um, <laughs> Harry, it's a question for you. So it's going back to the American model where. You've got lots of different companies providing the same service. And then if you did that over here, if I'm a customer going in, how, how would I decide which service to choose and which one has got credibility? What does that mean I'm going to have... If I Google and like, I get 20 up, which one... Or do you know how it works in America? Um, how people decide there? Because I haven't done that particular Google search, so I'm not entirely sure about that, but I mean, I think it would be much the same as, as picking a financial service if you were looking for a, you know, in the case of something like universal credit, I think if you were, if you were looking for a bank or a mortgage provider, you would have to look for one and, and evaluate which one you thought best suited you. And that certainly does raise interesting questions about the kinds of service that, um, that the videos were of. I'm not sure whether that particular approach would work so well for them. But I think that what you would get with a multiplicity of providers is all sorts of needs being catered for. And that would include people with lots of money and very niche requirements, as well as people with not very much and difficult problems, but who, who, there, are who there are many more of. I think um, it's an interesting question how much of this problem the market can solve and how much of it might be a bit too difficult or might require subsidy because it's something that is too complicated or just not cost efficient or not profitable for the private sector to do. Um, and I, I'd love to see where that boundary lies. Certainly, there'll be, imagine, I'd imagine, some bits that government might need to do. Well, if you need, like, a cake like this to have a conversation very strong and stuff like the financial, if you work for a financial advisor, you've got the FSA as your regulator. Yes, certainly. 
Yes, and I, I think that, that maybe goes back to the point about making sure that people who can access these endpoints for, for these APIs have some kind of, are checked in some kind of way. I, I would imagine that would be a public process. There's been conversation we're having in the Right. <laughs> There's only a lot of resolution, but... I'd love to hear about it. Jim Dalton, uh, Design It. Uh, just a little bit, bit more from the last conversation, the last comments I had. Design It's a, a Danish company, Barangy and Design Company. Um, and I say that because I'm going to say something I don't know an awful lot about, but if people are interested, I can find out more information. But to support uh, this, this idea of the sort of commercial market being able to deliver services and the government's responsibility or central government's responsibility is to create a platform that that can be delivered from. In Denmark, we're involved in a, a, a web platform uh, which we call it social media for geeks, uh, effectively. So digitizer.dk, uh, and it's a government-driven platform whereby anyone who wants to develop digital services that will be used in the public sector can basically get together, hang around, work out who's doing what, find out what uh, processes, uh, procedures, procurement models, whatever's needed. It's a, a platform that people can share. Uh, and that's working very effectively. Most of the data was available beforehand, but, but it was a case of actually drawing it together and putting it into a space where people could use it uh, effectively for the common good. So, uh, a question for Harry, really. Um, I, uh, I have just uh, signed up with a company for the sixth time, I think, to have my loft uh, insulated. And uh, they're being paid by the government to go out there and uh, get people involved and, you know, replace the two inches of insulation that I've got already with a, a ten inches of insulation. They've, they've all been on a list. Uh, sometimes I've been contacted by my local authority as I say, six different times, I'm still hoping that this final time, actually, it will happen. Now, you know... Oh, see, it hasn't been done six times, then. I've had six, <laughs> six, six contacts, all of which have said they're going to come, they never showed up. Right? And I've got no way of penalising them or even communicating with whoever put them on the list that said they were on the list. So I'm hoping the sixth time, finally, my loft will get insulated. It, this whole process has taken about eight months, I think, yeah? So how is that going to work with time-sensitive public services? You know, how is it going to work with time-sensitive social security? I mean, you, you're living in a slight dream world, I think. Uh, if you think the private sector is going to provide decent services for free to people who are in desperate need, they're never going to do that. And, uh, you know, you need to uh, really adapt it to the different contexts and not, not just pump out stuff from the 1980s, which is, you know, American income tax was, was outsourced in the 1980s. It's, it's, it's not a current technology. It's not current thinking. What we really need is something like a government pay power system. I agree that government shouldn't necessarily go all the way to designing fully finished products because, as we've seen and I think it's come out in earlier sessions, government isn't terribly good at doing fully finished products. Yeah. But we do need to have a, a thing where people can do it themselves, uh, mainly. That would be the thing. But they could do different things, where different groups could do 
different things, different local things, not market groups, but third sector groups and voluntary groups and so on. And similarly, if we just pooled information online, you go on, on to any government website, nobody ever tells you what, what pages people are looking at, what pages other people have found useful. There's no effort to use social media in any way to help people to communicate with each other. And I think that's really what Ivo's thing was showing uh, a lot more of. And, and I, I just think this, this kind of libertarian web market is sorted out Can I stop you, please? Because uh, you, you've, you've covered an awful lot there, and I'll, I'm, I'm at risk of forgetting what was at the beginning. Otherwise. Um, I, well, time-sensitive public service That's the bit I remember. I um, categorically don't think that the private sector is going to deliver all public services for free in some kind of libertarian fantasy. I mean, actually, I, I, I fear I've not made myself well understood if that's how I've come across. Um, what I do think is valuable is allowing other organisations to do the same things as government. I don't see particularly why it shouldn't be possible for a company to set up a service that allows you to submit a universal credit application if they wish to do so. And I don't see why it's not reasonable for government to pay that company for doing so, where that payment is less than what it would have cost government to do that transaction for themselves. So that's as far as I think the open API and open approach um, can go. As, as, as we were just saying earlier on, there are always going to be people in acute need in very difficult situations who need help, and that's what the welfare state is for, and that is something only government can do, and government should continue to do the things that only government can do, and, you know, indefinitely, of course. Um, can I have an example of a, of a time-sensitive um, transaction of the type that you're thinking? Housing benefits. Okay. Because I think there's, I think there's a, I don't know, I, I also, you know, share this concern that, that actually what you're going to do is make things much more complicated for the user. If I am, you know, if one of my principal concerns is fairness and that I'm treated fairly, if I've got six different ways, say, um, that I can apply for that benefit, six different intermediaries between me and my council, and they're all probably, you know, pitching for my business, they're trying to persuade me that they're the best way, probably trying to hint that you've, I've got more of a chance if I apply with them. Um, I'm going to be confused, and my sense of fairness, I think, you know, but that will be reduced. How do you enable that innovation to happen? Let let people get into that, you know, who have got ideas like you about how you develop that, but also then, you know, filter it down to this one good experience. I think that the work we've been doing with with consumer focus has also revealed that you know people do even if they think they're they're um, local authority is slow and their website's boring and that they can't find things very easily. Fundamentally, they believe that it's doing things in, in their best interest. Fundamentally, okay, they I'm, think that it's a good thing. So direct communication with them is, is, is what they want. I'm, I don't think that one group designing one service can ever produce something that the majority, or perhaps not the majority, but let's say that most or nearly all people find caters to their needs very well. I, I just don't think it's really possible. I, I think a multiplicity of providers um, will create convenience. It won't take it away. I mean, the, the example I like is of the, um, 
is that was actually a job seeker's allowance, so perhaps that's a, a good one to choose. Um, I don't think that government is the only group of people that will be able to help people to find jobs. And if there are other people who can also help people to find jobs, and while going through that process to put people on JSA or universal credit, is it not a useful and convenient thing that that organisation should be able to do that as part of their service? I don't think it's, I need job seekers allowance, I Google job seeker allowance, and then I'm confused by 50 search results. I think if you, if you need job seekers allowance and you don't know what to do, you can still contact the job centre and go through that process, or if, you're, if your circumstances are different, you can take an alternative route. Well, it is crucially important, isn't it, though, that somebody who Googles job seekers allowance finds all the information they need about job seekers allowance. Well, they would do, I think. Would they? But we've got, I mean, you, uh, we, we're, we're talking about different things. We're talking about finding jobs and we're, so, we're talking about getting your job seekers allowance. Yep. Those, those are completely different. I agree. But they're, they're, I related agree. And they're, well, they're related and they're processes that people often go through in parallel, is my point. If you're doing one, you may, you're, you're likely to be doing the other. Um, yes, but they should be handled in different ways. I, I, I don't think Absolutely. I don't they should think be handled should in be... all sorts of different ways. That's exactly my point. Yes, but for one of them, there should be, you know, a, a route a single route that makes people feel that they're, treat, that they're being treated fairly and in the same way as everyone else. And for the other, there should be this, 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 this plethora of, 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 of options. But I think what we're also getting close to discussing is, is, is the, you know, the, this problem of assessment, because actually one of, you know, four job seekers, you need to prove that you have been looking for jobs. So there, then there will need to be some sort of tie-in um, sure. uh, between these two things. But I think that the thing that worries me, though, is that, that you are... Or, or did say broadly that you know we, we, let's throw these things open to the market, um, and I think and I think that you should that never is... have used the word the market. <laughs> let's throw these processes open to people who aren't government. Just to... <laughs> but to design a single system in some in, but in, I don't in think a single cases. system is the, is the right way forward. Is that, that that perhaps is the critical the critical difference? I don't think one single system can ever effectively cater for everybody. But in, this, in, that, in that situation of, of housing benefit, how can you have multiple, multiple systems operating alongside each other? You, you just, I don't see how you, how you can do that in a way that is ethical. Why? For, for the reasons I said before, that you're going to have these people, people pitching you know, uh, for, to, to, for you as a, as a customer, as someone who is trying to get their housing benefit. If I've got both of you offering me different offers, competing for my custom, there's going to be some kind of mis... I'm, I'm going to be misled in some way. I don't think you're necessarily any more likely to be misled in that situation than in any other. Um, well, sorry, no. I think we're going to have to open it up to you. <laughs> 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 Getting a non-open. Um, there's a question there yeah. for Aidan. Um, um, James, um, the, it's been in personalisation of social care where instead of people being given five hours home care a week, they're now given money that they're entitled to spend themselves from the councils. And what they have done is uh, given people payment cards. Now, they put out the payment cards for councils across the country to get the banks to do the payment cards for them. And what has been found is that the banks do not get enough profit from that, therefore they do not see the vested interest in actually investing in that and that has actually screwed up the whole of that programme. Can we take I'd, one more question first so we yes. can set them up because we're running out of time. Excuse me, you, you wanted to ask a question? 
It's just kind of a bit of clarification about this. I mean, housing benefit actually does have different computer systems because it's not actually a national benefit. So what happened is it, as it got devolved to all the local authorities, they all had to sort of buy into their own systems. That not, wasn't necessarily a good thing. We're know. still in the situation, not we, though, where if I live in a particular... I mean, if I live in Lewisham, I have to use Lewisham's system, right? Yeah, well, you wouldn't want to be using a, a several different systems within Lewisham. But also, if you've got a national system, I could see that you would, you might say, say, have a, a payment system within uh, a job seekers allowance as a payment, or universal credit as a payment. You might have the payment handled by some some part of it that's been designed by somebody. You might have the claiming been designed by somebody. You might even hire private companies to do it. But you still have to have a funneling exercise. And when you use the analogy with actually finding work, you know, Freud's idea of using uh, contracted out, it's still being funneled via uh, job centres to the local areas. And the local areas have got people who uh, have got organisations who handle it and then funnel that through set providers. So you're not actually sort of dialing up s uh, several options. You are actually being funneled in a kind of logical way. And that's the only way it could work. I'm not, I'm not sure I quite understand why that's the only way that it could work. Because what you're saying is the problem that everybody's highlighting. You're saying there's six providers. And unless someone knows... And you can have six providers, say, providing for a benefit, as long as the channel is in one way, even if at the... At, at you the, mean as long as the sort of the rules, the sort of logical rules about how, it, how, how an application needs to be processed and managed? If you yes, absolutely. If that, you that's, that's, that's exactly, that's the, that's exactly the point at which you have the, yeah. the, the open interface, is the point at which you have to go into a part that only government can do. Yeah, it's just, it seemed like it, it's worth clarifying rather than necessarily criticising what you're saying. Thank you, that's, that's fine. Okay, one more and then we're going to Brian Wernham, uh, National Audit Office. Uh, well, I was just thinking of the work programme, actually, um, because that's a system whereby there'll be several providers in each local area trying to get people back into work, and uh, people are assigned to each provider on a lottery system, as I understand it. Um, so maybe there are some areas that are natural monopolies for government to supply services, others which are more debatable. I don't know. We've yet to see it work, of course. It's just gone away. We are going to perhaps you both like to wrap up, and perhaps I could just ask you to say some quick thoughts on perhaps whether the, the universal credit, what, what you know of plans for universal credit, are going to do anything to overcome the problems that you're talking about, whether that's, or, or whether that's going to create more problems. Um. So uh, I don't know. I, I think on, I think I think this is a very interesting area, and this debate is absolutely essential. To what extent? do we and how do we open it up to other people who are enthusiastic, who've got you know, fantastic skills and abilities in this area? How do, how do we let them in without compromising that user experience? How do we, how do we get them involved in that same strategy to, to, to improve it? So I think, I think that's the, uh, the essential thing that needs to be, to be looked at. And, uh, and, you know, and it is something that is being debated and worked upon in the, you know, the, the various different models um, are being used. Um, I think 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think I know enough about the the, the universal um, credit system to to, to to be able to to to, to um, comment properly. But um, I, I think what, from, the, from in terms of what the what the public want is to whoever's going to be able to do the the best job of that service to provide it. There isn't that distinction from the user's point of view between a public and a and a and a private uh, provider or anything in between. Um, so I think that, that that's all we want. We want to have to, to have the best experience. Um, I also think what I said before is, is, is about the connection with government actually being a very positive thing. We want to feel like however we are communicating that it is direct. So I think for me the answer is about bringing in lots of different expertise and the best bits of various other proce um, processes, allowing everyone to, all of those people who have interest, to, to, to collaborate and innovate that same uh, process. So you get a great solution to, to, to either of these things. Um, well, um, I, f I fear I have um, appallingly failed to make myself well understood. Um, I completely endorse everything I've ever said, and, and uh, just to dispel all doubt. Uh, I, I have no lunatic right-wing libertarian fantasies <laughs> of any kind. Um, I just think that public services will generally be better if we build them in such a way that lets more people do more things and innovate with more approaches. Um, I will stick around for a little while. I'd be delighted to talk to anyone. Um, I'm very happy to be, to be proven wrong and I'd particularly like to read more about that payment card.